Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. In 2008, Uriah Rennie took charge of Liverpool's 2-0 win over Tottenham in the Premier League, a match described at the time as a lacklustre affair. But it's turned out to be a pretty historic fixture because that was the last time a black referee officiated in England's top league. So a trailblazer who instead became an outlier. 14 years on, and the Athletics' Carl Anker has been exploring how much progress has been made. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'd have 22 handshakes at the end of the game, but the observer would have an issue with something. You've got to see it in order to know you can achieve it. Observers would comment on my hair. Um, I had an earring that I would always take out before the game, but they would comment on my earring. It sounded very much like a glass basement where... The smaller number of people that did feel encouraged and were aware of the opportunities available in refereeing, there was a definite limit to how high they could go. The comment which I've heard relating to myself in terms of my colour have actually come from people of colour themselves. Being the man in black invites one form of abuse. Being the black man in black in the middle does that invite another layer of abuse. Over the course of the podcast, we'll also hear from Ashley Hickson Lovens, a former semi-professional referee and author of your show, written in collaboration with Rennie. And we'll also hear from Russell Hoyt, who helped semi-professional referees trying to rise through the ranks. The stat, Carl, before we come on to the current situation, but the stat about Uriah Rennie, 2008, 14 years since we last had a black referee in the top flight, is um, is hugely surprising because I would argue it's kind of gone under the radar. Yes. So the original thought I had for, for investigating this article started from a sort of this Black History Month, where is Zura Rene? I remember going through old copies of Match of Day magazine and shoot and match and, and seeing Mr. Rennie in uh, vocal dialogue with the likes of Dennis Wise, uh, and Alan Shearer, I think he's he's very memorable for being one of the very few referees to send off Alan Shearer in a game. Uh, and I thought that'd be quite nice to, to find him and see what he's doing. Uh, but in researching Irene's life, that's when I realised it's been 14 years since the man in the middle, the man in the black, hasn't been uh, a black person. Uh, and I found that quite alarming because uh, Uraini was the first black referee. And I remember in those magazines, him being described as a trailblazer, being the first. Uh, and I certainly don't think Mr. Rennie wanted to be the last. And therefore it became sort of a, a small investigation. I first contacted Ashley because he worked with Uraini Rennie to create this book, Your, Your Show. I read Your Show. It's it's phenomenal. It's, a, it's written in a second person. So it's you get on the train, you are looking at Alan Shearer, you you oh. do all your, your warm-ups, you watch Alan Shearer do this, he's spitting in your face, he's doing this, you send him off. You're, and then it goes into the next season. And the, the, the claustrophobic situation it is being a referee 
like Uriah Rennie, who was described by so many as being, um, the accusation was he was very self-aggrandizing. And the title of your show comes from a quote from from managers saying, you know, when Uriah Rennie referees, it, he, he thinks it's your show where it's not. <laughs> and in conversation with Ashley, I, you know, I thought, well, one, I'd love to to talk to, to Mr. Rennie if it was possible. And if not, I'd love to talk to you about how you came about making this book uh, and what came about was, was eventually his story of of refereeing in, in the semi-professional levels at Acne Marshes. Um, I also contacted Mr. Russell Hoyt, who's been awarded by the Footy Blacklist uh, in September. And together, we just sort of had a hour-long discussion talking about black referees and also coming down to, to one of the bigger questions which is now you know in 2022 why on earth does anyone want to be a referee oh well, well i mean god this always amuses me what, what whatever the color of the skin of a referee but current referees are heroes to young referees coming through and i i when i say it amuses me in kind of like a heartwarming way you know that referees can be idolized by others within the refereeing community and actually he's talked about what an inspirational figure Uriah Rennie was. For about five years, I wanted to be a Premier League referee because my hero, Uriah Rennie, was a Premier League referee. But as the years went on, I felt like that's not going to happen. You know, I'm, I just don't fit the mould. So, yeah, it was it was a bit it was a bit um, demoralising at times, I have to say. But I do think it's changing, and I, I mean that sincerely. So, since he stopped, has, has he been involved? So, actually, to this day, continues as a referee observer. Um, and yes, I, I, I had a sort of faint chuckle when Ashley described Uriah Rennie as his hero because it, yeah. it's that very, it's that, <laughs> yeah. it's that notion you have of, of anyone when, when someone is in a profession that you've not really thought about. When they say my hero is someone of that profession, you, there'll you be first a fifteen, break- there'll be a fifteen-year-old now, Carl, who idolises Mike Dean. I can yes. guarantee, I can guarantee it, which will be a podcast in itself in a decade's time. Which initially might sound odd, and then you talk to you know, when you talk to Ashley yeah. about why he got into refereeing and how edifying it and and nourishing he finds refereeing. He said refereeing is one of the best things he's ever done, um, and he said he wouldn't be confident and, uh, and able to, to talk from people from different walks of life if he hadn't been a referee from the age of seventeen. Which, once he explained it, made perfect sense in the same way that um, being a school teacher requires you to talk from people from different walks of life yeah. and also having to deal with aggression from various angles when some people want to go about their playtime or or you know when some people describe their want to enter the emergency services um so actually talking about that was was fascinating his experiences of, of playing at hackney marshes are very different to my experiences of playing at hackney marshes as i was very much a player and uh something also found quite interesting was was russell's comment so he is a referee coordinator uh, a referee coach and a referee in the Greater Manchester area. And actually, in general, the comment which I've heard relating to myself in terms of my colour have actually come from people of colour themselves. And I've been turned up to games when I've heard players say, oh, here's a black referee. So which my comment back to them is, and there's a black player. In the sort of, oh, I haven't... If someone who looks like me is not a player... There's very often that quote, you need to see it in order to achieve it. And I think in many vocations, uh, which I'll, you know, I'll deem the creative arts, yeah. there, if you are from uh, a different socioeconomic background or a different cultural background, you can very often go through your early phases in life thinking that the only thing is possible is the front of camera job. All through my teenage years and school years, I thought the director of a film did everything. I didn't know what editor did. I didn't know what a producer did. I didn't know what a screenwriter did. I didn't know what cinematography or lighting or whatever. I thought the director made the movie. 
and, and then you get a bit older you meet people who have a bit more experience in filmmaking uh, and you read a little bit more and you realize there are all these other jobs uh, and what russell described was a very similar experience with refereeing in that he was playing football in the greater manchester area until his 30s um, and then a couple of injuries happened and he went well i want to continue being in the footballing world what's a way for me to contribute um, and the way for him to do it was to become a referee and I think that that was a really interesting question as to where are the black referees well it's the idea of if you are 16 17 18 years of age and okay maybe you're not going to go to Senrab or maybe you're not going to be the semi-professional football player you think or maybe you're not going to be the academy player you think has anyone at any point in time gone have you considered being a referee and I don't think that's happening and I think that's causing a uh, a gap in, in what very talented people could do. Very much the case that I am one of a few, even in the people I coordinate now in the league, four or five people of colour who are in the league, that's out of 60, what's that, 8% of the people. Is that enough? No. Unfortunately, there's only actually two female officials who are actually in the league as well even lower that's three percent of the people who are in the league are female of which none of them are black females is that gap then from who you've spoken to and what you've discussed are we talking about at the lowest possible level whether that's amateur football or semi-professional football or are we talking about starting on the rung of professional Football. I mean, is is the is the lack of black or Asian referees all the way down into you know you say Hackney Marshes, you know, or or the playing fields of East Manchester? Is it everywhere, or are we are we talking semi-pro and pro? I think it's both, as was described by both Russell and Ashley in our conversation. So, I mean, I've I've got the statistics here. Um, the FA believe there are twenty four thousand five hundred referees in England. The majority of those are officiating Sunday League games. 2,000 of those are black, Asian and minority ethnic. In Russell's opinion, he thinks there's not enough referees at the top because there's not nearly enough referees at the bottom. Um, and he described an experience of essentially just how expensive it is to be a referee. Yeah. The the £60 shirt you have to buy to be a, to be a referee. Uh, then you've got to get your boots. Normally black at the moment, so you don't stand out and look like you're a showcase pony. <laughs> and that's you know, your most basic equipment. You've got, to get, you've got to get your whistle. You've got to do your course. Russell was was very fortunate to to get his course paid for by the Cheshire FA. But courses can be cost between somewhere to 100 and 150 pounds. You add in that equipment, um, and then on a base level, I mean, Russell estimated it could cost between somewhere between 250 to 400 pound to get your referee career started. Um, and then he factored in the things you have to do to go up the refereeing levels. Within England, we've got 13 levels of refereeing, levels one to 10, and then there's four elite categories. Uh, and the four elite categories cover the, the football league. And the big shift in terms of going from amateur to semi-professional is the jump from level five to level four. And that's where not only does the um, economic cost spike, uh, so Russell explained you needed to go and get buzzer flags. Uh, you also possibly need to start discussing body cams, as now body cams are, are a thing. So that's, again, another 100, 150 pound. Um, Russell himself yeah. prefers being a, a referee rather than an assistant referee. So he very much wants to stay at level five. And he says that's his grounding. And he's in charge of now 70 people in the Cheshire and Lancashire area. Uh, and some of them may progress past them, but he is very happy at level five. Ashley, who was a referee, started refereeing in, in 2007, he paused at level five for some time with a number of his friends saying, well, if, if 
if you really want to make a go of it and you really want to be an XUI runner, you should really go for, for level four. But he said he paused for, for some reason. The, the increased scrutiny and pressure, you know, might uh, deter the enjoyment I would get out of refereeing because I was really enjoying, you know, the sort of the, the camaraderie and the banter you get at lower level, you know, the sort of, the players are still drunk on a Sunday, Sunday morning. And, you know, and then you <laughs> engage with them and talk about where you went out last night and that sort of thing. And then he made the jump to level four. He, he was at level four for five years. To make that jump, you have to pass a number of exams. You have to pass a fitness test. You have to be observed by a number of referees and get high marks on your on, across a season. And you've also got to be an assistant referee for a while. Actually makes that jump, was very successful. And then at level four, he named two or three circumstances where he didn't think some of these referee assessments were fair. Um, they were judging me on, on a number of factors. And the, 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 those factors, not necessarily just race, but it's the fact that I was a London FA referee for one of them. You know, they London FA didn't have a good reputation for getting referees who are, um, you know, climbing the ladder. Even now, if you look at the sort of top level officials, um, you'll struggle to find anybody in London for sure. South of England, generally, to be honest, is, is, is harder. Uh, Surrey have quite a decent reputation. Uh, so, yeah, because I was a London referee, because I had a high top, Fresh Prince-esque high top at the time when I was refereeing, observers would comment on my hair. Um, I had an earring that I would always take out before the game, but they would comment on my earring and little things like that, you know. And I felt like I wasn't, for many, it felt like I wasn't um, in the mould of the traditional conventional referee that could make it to the top. Uh, and sometimes that gets to you, you know. Sometimes I remember, you know, I would have a good game and um, I'd have 22 handshakes at the end of the game but the observer would have an issue with something. And I just didn't think it was always fair. And I don't think that's a purely subjective experience. I've had friends, very good referees, who have been unfairly criticised um, because of the rather subjective observation weightings and criterias for them to get promoted. I am now an observer, so I'm now in, in, on the other side. And thankfully, the systems have changed for the better. And we do have necessary bias training and all those sort of things are really, really helping. So I do think a lot of those issues um, that I experienced when I was coming up through the systems has been, have been eradicated. Um, but it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pleasant. Um, and what you, we got was a very talented person become disillusioned with the path of progression up that pyramid and, and walking away from refereeing. You know, if you listen to this and you're a teacher or you've attempted to be a teacher or you've attempted any sort of difficult job such as that, people facing job and thought, actually, maybe it's not for me. I need something calmer. I'm sure it might resonate. I mean, all refereeing decisions are subjective, aren't they? <laughs> but on, the, on those report issues, was there a process for him to push? I mean, I, I cannot believe that, an, that the appearance of a referee is even allowed in a in an assessor's report, I mean that 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 I find absolutely gobsmacking on behalf of him, but also on behalf of I mean female referees. Well, I mean what they're going to comment on 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 female referees' appearance, what whether she has earrings in or the hairstyle or I mean that's that's utterly that I mean I mean that's, no, that, you're, I think that I actually think, is really really surprising. I think your bafflement is 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 correct, yeah. uh, and uh, Ashley was. Very fair, and said you know describe things as changing, getting better, um, and he struck a very optimistic tone about the FA's elite development program of referees and whatnot. So hopefully things are getting better there. He also spoke of uh, black female referees. He, he mentioned 
the work of uh, Patsy Andrews, who's the mother of Akil Halson. Akil Halson, one of the very few BME referees in the, in the leagues. Um, Patsy Andrews is based in Leicester and does really great work with uh, getting marginalised groups um, into the profession. Uh, and yes, uh, she's very much on my to-do pile of, of people to, to interview in future, to talk about the future of refereeing and the current state of refereeing. But some of the stories Ashley said, I think he, he, he also mentioned that he was not the only um, BME black person mm. or BME person who was go- who was refereeing at the time who thought mm, maybe this might not be for me. Do you think that's where it needs to start then, Carl? To 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 improve uh, the number of black or Asian referees within both amateur and professional football? Does it does it need to start at assessor level and leadership level to try and remove some of and yet you use the phrase the, the the subconscious bias that may be there. Is is that is that the start rather than looking at trying to start with 16, 17 year old lads or or, or or girls and bringing them through to start their refereeing career, actually you need to start it at the top. I think they're linked. I think you cannot do one properly without the yeah. other. Uh, even if you were to go and get um to get the 15, 16, 17 year old from, from different backgrounds and different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, if they're still having to report to, to superiors that do not properly understand their differences in culture and, and why, well, actually, no, having a high top haircut has absolutely nothing to do with how professional they are. Mm. Uh, in fact, I think if, if you went off and made sure you've got a decent high top haircut, you're probably taking your job very seriously because you want to yeah, be yeah, fresh. Absolutely. Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, I think I think you, you you cannot have one without the other. The the experiences actually, and to a lesser extent, Russell explained, it sounded very much like a glass basement where the smaller number of people that did feel encouraged and were aware of the opportunities available in refereeing, there was a definite limit to how high they could go due to the thoughts or opinions of superiors from several years ago. Now, Ashley spoke about how things are changing, and Russell has a very straightforward opinion. Um, as to how to deal with, with certain factors. He's very much, I'm here to referee a game. You don't need to like me. I'm going to get in my car and go home anyway. And if this game doesn't, this game doesn't go ahead without the referee. Mm. And he was very straightforward. And he, he speaks with what I, uh, you term, you know, veterans experience, which is, this is a vocation, but also very often the best people at vocations are the ones that make sure they have set boundaries and make sure they don't burn out and are very aware of what they want to do in a week. For Ashley, who perhaps wanted to, to go higher and whatnot and wasn't necessarily given the correct opportunities or the right fair shake about that, I definitely think, yeah, it has to be a, a case of leadership. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. 
Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's betterhel dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Just going back on the cost and, and and the cost thing. I mean, the cost thing will will affect any referee, whatever their gender, whatever their race. Um, I suppose what if you're starting with a smaller pool of black or Asian referees, then um, you're going to feel the dropouts more. I think if, I think if you start from a smaller pool, you, you feel the dropouts more. If you switch on the news, we're very aware we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis, yeah. and things people do is you know you tend to cut back on subscriptions and you tend to cut back on hobbies. Um, I, I'm loath to call them frivolities. These are things that are necessary to to enjoy life. Um, and something that Russell explained was essentially how he gets paid. So as a referee. At level five level, the, the majority of the money you get back on, on a Saturday or on a Sunday or on a midweek comes from the subscriptions the other Sunday league players, or you know, I'll call them Sunday league players, the other amateur players give. So you know, if you finish a game, you give £10, £15 to your club chairman, and then some of that money is divided up to the referees. And, and Russell said, okay, he may spend 250 or 150 to, to get all his referee equipment to put petrol in his car and to, and to go and referee this game and he will get an X amount from, from subs. Ashley also said that at some point you have to measure how many games you want to referee in a weekend. Games and stuff. So, so obviously you can do free games on a Sunday, sure, but then you'll be knackered and you'll make mistakes. So I do think it's probably disproportionately more expensive for, for black people, but for, for, for generally people who live within uh, lower socioeconomic, um, you know, backgrounds, you know, not just black people, but working class people, I think uh, we could do better to get them into into the into refereeing, I think. Um, and I keep going back to teaching and I keep describing this as a vocation. Refereeing is a, is a job that doesn't necessarily pay very well. It's quite expensive to get into, requires you to be public facing uh, and the scorn of a lot of abuse not just from players, but from managers and from parents, especially at amateur level. Um, and the the progression to the top, to to the point where you can be possibly an ex-Uri Rennie, is murky at best. Mm. No wonder it creates this sort of imperfect storm where, where you have a number of very talented people, perhaps not where they should be. It's but we've all been in games though where the referee never leaves the centre circle, and now I understand why. It might be because it's their third game of the day, or or sometimes <laughs> it was because they were eighty seven. Um, just on the on the abuse, and you, I mean, I think at the end of your very first answer on this podcast, Carl, you said, "Why would anybody want to be a referee?" We live in a what feels like an, an abusive era, to be honest, doesn't it? Really, you know, and and a lot of people are doing their best to make it a less abusive era. And I realise, and this is a bit of a rambling question, you can't speak for a whole community here, Carl, 
But have you have you discovered that there's an element of in modern society, there's still a chance that I might just get abused for my skin colour whilst walking down the street. Why do I want to exacerbate that by being a referee as well? So speaking as someone who has been abused walking down the street for my skin colour, um, I did wonder why, you know, being the man in black invites one form of abuse, being the black man in black in the middle, does that invite another layer of abuse? Um, and something that I found quite edifying and interesting from both Russell and from, from Ashley was was they both said they hadn't really encountered race, racist abuse on top of uh, vitriolic statements they may have received as a referee. Uh, Ashley described one one circumstance where he was refereeing a Vets game. Uh, one of the Vets players described a teammate in a way that um, probably should have seen him talk to by HR. But they said that was his, his only sort of overt instance of encountering right. racism as as a referee. He he also spoke about how that is good, but also that doesn't um, negate the insidious racism. Nusrat Wonga, brilliant footballing writer, said that in in football and also in life, we very often talk about fighting racism as in fighting a discrete object that can be punched or defeated on a battlefield. Where actually, racism is insidious and it works a lot like cholera in water. In that you don't really notice what's going on until you're already sick and you're already spouting whatever from your mouth. And I think, okay, maybe Ashley in his refereeing career didn't have someone call him at effing something, something when he gave them a, a booking. But there were also times where perhaps the referee observer went, oh, he's got a haircut. Yeah. He must think he's a, he must think he is the show pony that Russell also described as well. Um, and there's also the idea of, for any black person listening to this podcast, you might have experienced the um, difficulty in in doing a front-facing job and feeling sometimes you have to be twice as good or act even more professional than your white contemporaries in order to receive a equal share, you know, twice as good to get half as much. Uh, again, Russell's saying you have to wear black boots so you don't get described as a show pony is something he's definitely thinking about that perhaps the, the white younger referee doesn't necessarily consider. Yeah, yeah. Although they might do, I would. I, I mean, from my experience of amateur football as well. I mean, at all level, whether that's kids, my kids now, or when I played, if a, if a referee, whatever their whatever their ethnicity or gender, <laughs> turned up in a pair of white boots or orange boots or whatever, maybe back in the day as well when you know they were less prevalent, I think they would get a little bit of stick for it. But I, I completely, it's an extra thing, I suppose, isn't it? For, yes. for for a, a black or Asian referee. And I think for all of us who enjoy football, uh, I think it's interesting you use the term get a bit of stick in that we have a, there's a normalised level of descent to authority yeah. Yeah. in the United Kingdom, yeah. shall we yeah. say. So uh, the best way I can describe it was when I was growing up, I was informed, don't talk to coppers. Uh, and, and some of my friends at university didn't understand what that meant. Sometimes you, you, you know, at school I did call my, I was annoying, and I did call my teacher so and so. And there have been times where I've played a game of football, and I have sarcastically applauded a referee or all described things yes. as a farce. Yeah. I didn't really use the word farce. Yes. Um, so there, there is stick, um, and I think stick is. I mean. The way Russell describes refereeing, stick is something that just came off him a bit like, you know, yeah. or if a duck's back and he just gets in his car and he just cracks on. And there is abuse and there is stuff that goes beyond the pale. And, and there is a, a level of vitriol that makes being a referee 
very, very difficult. And I think if you are um, an authority figure, that doesn't necessarily come from uh, what I describe as traditional, the traditional view of an authority figure. You know, you switch on television and policemen look a certain way and, and teachers look a certain way and politicians look a certain way as well. And if you don't fit that mold, if you come in and say, I am an authority figure or I am knowledgeable about a certain subject, one of the very first things people often do is go, no, you're not. I'm going to press every single button to see if you are. Um, I'm a black football journalist. One of the very most common things that happen to me as a black football journalist is I have people go, have you played football? If you've not played football, I'm going to assume you don't know what you're talking about. Again, the uh, English football is very accepting of black people for their bodies, um, but is very often reluctant to accept black people for their minds within the game. So if a black referee coming in might elicit the raised eyebrow do they know the game or are they just an athletic runner who isn't going to stand in the center circle? And I think that is a challenge to get past. And I think that creates uh, an extra element to abuse that referees will get, um, not from traditional backgrounds. And also I think at this point in time where we know about the abuse levels at Sunday league games, when we know about the abuse levels at youth games, I think I've heard quite a number of referees saying you know, they're, they're refereeing, under tens or under thirteens, oh. and it's not necessarily the the children no. being abusive and berating them, but it's their parents. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, I'm I'm being paid thirty, perhaps forty pound this weekend to referee this game to, in order to help young children, you know, for the betterment of local community. And members of my own community are calling me uh, X Y Z. Yeah. What's the point? And I think in any profession, the moment you have talented people go, what's the point? you then create a system where a, a talent drain occurs and the talent drain will disproportionately affect those from um, lower socioeconomic backgrounds, those from marginalized groups, black, Asian, and ethnic minority people as well. And that's how you get that talent drain on what's already a very small pool. So, I, I mean, I, I've, I've played adult football since I went to university in 1991, right? So, I mean, I haven't played adult football for a while now, but you know, my experience of adult grassroots kids football last is is now over 30 years. Um, and in all that time, I'll be honest with you, Carl. In all that time, on the field, I have found it a multicultural experience and a, and a, a racially diverse experience from university all the way through playing in London, playing in Manchester, etc. But that goes back to the playing part and goes back to one of the earliest things you talked about of the experience of maybe some black players when Russell turns up to referee and raising an eyebrow going, oh, oh you're the referee kind of thing. Is that the area that we now focus on to bring more black and Asian referees through because the playing experience is diverse. And I think it, it's not just in refereeing. Uh, you've, you've just got the quotes from Patrick Vieira when he's talking about black managers. The FA um, communication and what they are trying to do and what is their target. I would like them to be a little bit more ambitious on that side because I don't think that the numbers that they wanted to to achieve are higher enough. Um, and you can talk about black executives and black uh, chairmen in football and black scouting in football and whatnot as well. Uh, again, part of this is you've got to see it in order to know you can achieve it. Um, and I come back to, to what I said when I was a teenager. I thought the director did everything. There's a point in my life where I thought the football manager did mm. everything. And, and then you learn about all these different jobs. 
Um, so I'll, I'll read the FA statement about the... Well, I'll tell you what. Whilst, whilst you find the FA statement, let me just also make the point. The FA has a 14-strong refereeing committee that oversees the diversity initiatives. That 14-strong refereeing committee has no black, Asian or mixed heritage members. I mean, I, I, I genuinely don't see how you can oversee diversity initiatives when you don't have... And look, there may be diversity on gender. There may be diversity, which is... And you've actually mentioned this, which is really important and often gets overlooked, a, 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 um, a class diversity, a social background diversity, which is really important in any organisation or any initiative. So they may have that kind of diversity on their board. I don't know. But they don't have race diversity. Yes, and that's interesting. And the way you stress the word "may" is 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 a very hopeful sort of trying to give them the benefit yeah. of the doubt. <laughs> yes, the the FA, you know, the FA state. So the FA launched the Elite Referee Development Plan in February 2021, uh, and the idea was to establish a new global standing in match officiating, performance, and development, and to help officials who underrepresented backgrounds break into the game. Uh, spokesperson said they want to grow the pipeline um, of high refereeing, which is representative of females, black, Asian, mixed or other ethnic groups and disabled people. And that is a very noble statement. And it very much sounds like the statements that were released as part of the England DNA plan. Uh, if you remember around about 2017, 2018, where the, the idea was to, to grow English football and to, to make it more diverse and to bring people in and to you know, essentially start winning trophies at the very very top so this is that was a statement released in february 2021 if we are to take the um barometer of the england dna as as a how long this might take we we might be here in, in 2026 and beginning to see green shoots and, and change but this will be a long process i think yes right now the question is why on earth would anyone want to be a referee and that has to be answered by the FA in a way that is compelling to 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 people at Hackney Marshes who perhaps have gone ah maybe maybe I don't want to play uh, eleven aside anymore maybe I have that had that injury or maybe you know maybe one of these London teams has dropped me but I want to stay into football um, can that argument getting to referees still be very very compelling? Um, it's going to be some time though, isn't it? It's going to be some time before we get black or Asian referees in the Premier League or the Championship, I would suggest. And and I'm just looking at just the 40 referees on the books for the 2021-2022 season in the Premier League and the Championship. They're all white. There are 200 referees in the top seven divisions. Four are black or Asian. Sam Allison, Joel Mannix, Ajay Ajibola and Sonny Gill. Now, they maybe working their way up. I've no idea where they are within those levels that you were talking about earlier. But but it's going to take some time before there is a group going into that refer that list for the Premier League and the Championship that that aren't white. Yes, we have to be patient, you know. Uh, it, it feels very odd to to sit here and think about that when is the next Uri Rennie coming when I mean he he still is so vibrant in my memory. And yet, it is almost from a from a what you describe, what some might describe as a bygone age. I, I looked up some of the photographs from from that game against Liverpool and Tottenham, and I saw you know Fernando Torres in a Liverpool shirt, and I went, oh, recent, but also not that recent. Uh, 
<laughs> so good things will come, but often they often take time and patience and a lot of collaborative work from a lot of good, um, well-meaning people. Of which Russell is one. And as long as you have people like Russell doing the work, then that, that will give you a sense of optimism. Very much so. And Russell is in charge of 70 people on a weekly basis. Something I really enjoyed Russell saying was his intention and the thing that makes him very happy is when he meets a referee and he knows he's not going to get to work with them for too long because they're too good and they're going to be up the levels immediately. Uh, Russell's intention is to help people get into referee and also Russell wants to make referees who are better than himself. And I think that's a very noble pursuit whenever you are teaching or instructing. To follow this story and for, for plenty more important storytelling throughout Black History Month, subscribe to The Athletic, just a pound a month for the first six months uh, at theathletic.com slash footballpod. Uh, we'll have another episode for you roughly the same time tomorrow. The Athletic.